Hey everyone, welcome back to Why the Flick, a podcast where we watch a new movie each episode and ask ourselves, why the flick did we watch this? I'm your host, Claire, and this week I am so excited to be joined by Spro and Lee, Take on the Academy. Hey guys, thanks for coming on the pod. Hello. Thanks for having us. I'm excited too. <laughs> it's just fun to hear the intro live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping the music was going to play. Oh, we could. I could have hummed should, it a little. Should bit. I not give that away? I should probably not give that. <laughs> Spoiler warning. Secrets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't give away any of my secrets. No, but yeah, I'm. I'm very excited to have you both here to talk about a very traumatizing movie. I should say. Um, the movie we're discussing today is Seven, released in 1995. And directed by David Fincher, he is most most known for movies like Fight Club. I personally know him personally. Yes, I know him. Uh, no, my my first in- movie introduction to him was actually Panic Room, which terrified the shit out of me. So I shouldn't be surprised that Seven also scared me um, even much more so. And for those who maybe don't know what this movie is about, I'll read the IMDb description. Um, First of all, you should just go watch this movie, but also brace yourselves. Um, But the IMDb description for this movie goes, Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. Um, And so usually, Spronely, I ask my guests this very important question, and I'm going to ask you both, why in the ever-loving flick did you guys pick this movie? <laughs> I'll let Spro do that. Um, okay, so not to sound dramatic, but this movie changed my life. <laughs> I saw it, so if it came out in September of 1995, I was 13 years old when I saw it. And because it was rated R, I needed my parents mm. to take me to it. And I always did this thing with my parents where they would take me to a movie and I would go sit in the fifth row and they sat somewhere behind mm. me. So I would just go sit alone in the theater and immerse myself in it. And I remember seven. I remember the trailer. And I remember the trailer was one of the first trailers to give me shivers. And I was like, I need to see that movie. And it was interesting at the time because Brad Pitt wasn't known as that guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he was I think I remembered him from Legends of the Fall um, and uh, Thelma and Louise. So he was always the beautiful guy. And then he rolls out um in this film and even the trailer was dark and mysterious and it ended with morgan freeman and brad pitt looking into the interrogation window and saying honestly have you ever seen anything like this and morgan freeman goes nope. you know and it's just and that's how the trailer ended. and i'm even getting shivers right now to make me sound even more like a goon if anybody sees me this goatee right here is inspired by detective david mills my first email address was Detective Mills at MSN.com. Like, love this movie to death. This is my favorite film. So I'm so excited to be sitting here talking to you about it. And the fact that it was your first time seeing it. Oh my gosh, this is going to be a a hell of a two hours. Um, I think it's... Lee, follow that up. (laughs) Well, first, I just want to say, I think it's funny too that Spro identified so heavily with the David Mills character. And I think that's probably Spro being like, Oh, I want to be like this hot young cop. 
Um, right. Maybe a little bit. Cause he's far sure. more of a Somerset. I think at yeah. heart, he's far wiser. He's got, he's far more cultured um, and, and patient. Um, I think if, either of the two of us are like David Mills. It's probably more like me. <laughs> arrogant, um, a little oh bit God. impulsive. I hope that um, doesn't make me like foolish. John Doe in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, time will tell. Um, no, uh, I, I saw this one. Uh, my mother was very hands-on. Like we watched a lot of movies as, uh, in, in my household growing up. Um, but my mother was very hands-on when it came to like censoring. So, I mean, four years before this movie came out, Terminator 2 came out and she was like, absolutely not. And I was like, no, everybody got to see Terminator 2. Um, and then I kind of started doing my own little personal cinema um, exploration, just renting movies from the library. And I came home one day with Clockwork Orange and she was like, oh, please don't watch that movie. She didn't say no and take it away from me. She said, please don't watch that movie. I said, why? She said, because it's very uh, violent. There's a horrible scene of um, violence toward a woman. She's like, please don't watch it. And I was like, I'm going to watch it. Uh, thank you for letting me know. I mean, this is I'm like 12 years old or 13 years old at the time. And but that was the beginning where she stopped being like, no, and started kind of just being like, well, he's going to watch whatever he's going to watch. So she bought me the ticket to seven. I still have the stub. I save all my stubs. I still have the stub with her signature on it. Um, and it was at the local theater, the same theater where Spro and all of his cronies would go. This was before high school, though. This was we were in eighth grade when seven came out. And the entire eighth grade class would just go and stand in front of this theater and smoke cigarettes and talk and flirt and then go to a movie. And the same day that that seven came out, um, I think it was Hackers. It was either Hackers or Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. And everybody was going to see that. And then I'm the, I, I went alone and all these girls were like, <laughs> they're like, you're going to see a movie alone? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, don't, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, it, it was like Spro. I mean, Morgan Freeman had been everywhere. I'd, I'd seen Shawshank. I'd seen Unforgiven. I'd seen uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And then Pitt, this kid Pitt had come along um, and made a lot of these kind of like, you know, Interview with a Vampire was another one that, that Spro failed to mention. But he was this pretty boy. And then he's going to make this movie that looks decidedly uh, off-brand as... Uh, as Spro sort of put it. So I was like, well, I'm into that. That looks great. Um, and it was the bleakest movie experience. Like there's a few movie experiences, cinematic experiences that stick to you. Um, and I remember this one. I remember the way it smelled, the way, the, the amount of humidity in the room. I remember the people sitting around me. So, I mean, it was pretty singular. Yeah. I can't imagine what it must have been like to watch this in a theater. I feel like just sitting at my home watching this for the first time and I watched it on my laptop. I, I literally like was like this with like blankets and everything covering my eyes, like, sh like talking to myself, like, don't, don't do that. Or, Oh God, Oh God, don't open that box. Um, so yeah, I, 
it wasn't it was quite an experience and i think for me when i saw this on your list i was i had watched the trailer too and that's what really drew me to want to pick it and watch it um i haven't covered a lot of crime thrillers so that seemed interesting and then someone planning murders based on the seven deadly sins was also kind of like intriguing um in a weird way so i'm like yeah i want to see what how this plays out and i feel like ever since i picked this before i watched it i feel like i started getting inundated with like mentions of it like you know how when you say something out loud and then facebook like serves you ads for it that's how i feel like what was happening to me with this movie um like I saw an article about how David Fincher was going to remaster seven and he was like, I'm not going to replace the guns with flashlights, which I guess was a nod to like Steven Spielberg doing that in ET. Um, and then I would heard it mentioned Ooh. on some other podcasts. And then on my last episode with Jessica from Get Your Binge On, when I told her we were doing this next, she went, oh, my God you have to tell me as soon as you finish like watching that movie because you need a stiff drink after that. So I started getting very, very anxious to watch it and I ripped it off like a Band-Aid though. I watched it and wow, like it, it does stick with you for sure. So being so long after it's released, was anything spoiled for you? No, surprisingly, I didn't know I didn't know anything about the ending, um, but I did feel like I was picking up on what was going to happen by the end of it. It seemed like there were clues left that um, I knew kind of about where it was, where it was heading. Um, I didn't expect some of the stuff at the end. Um, but yeah, I, I, for some reason, surprisingly enough, never been spoiled on the ending. That's great. <laughs> I find, yeah. I, f- I think that's, I honestly, I think that's because despite how important it was to you and I, Spro, you don't, when it comes to Fincher's earlier work, you hear about Fight Club. That's about as far back as people go with him. Mm. I don't, I don't get why, you know, the last time we recorded when you were uh, on our show, Claire, um, I talked about the fact that I was a teacher and, you know, if I ever get into a movie discussion with Gen, Gen Z or Gen A, and they're like, well, what are some really good movies? What are your, you know, if, if I bring up seven, they're like, they give me the quizzical, like, what's that? Very few um, younger people know about this movie. You don't get to, you don't see spoofs of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see it parodied. I don't hear people talk about it, which is a bummer. Well, that's what my niece just, uh, she went on a date. And so this is why it's one of her favorite movies, but she went to see the Batman. And she absolutely loved the Batman. And she came back and I was like, the Batman is a complete ripoff of David Fincher's style. Mm. So then I started getting out Seven and Fight Club and not so much the Curious Case of Benjamin Button, (laughs) but the social network, you know, and the game and Panic Room and just gave her all this. I was like, you're going to love this. And she didn't know any of that stuff, but she knew that she liked that cinematic edge that the Batman brought to the screen yeah I can definitely see the comparisons between those two films and like the cinematography even is just so compelling and the way that it's filmed and the way the story unfolds definitely had me on the edge of my seat the entire time like I could not look away from my screen and this was like and I'm taking so many notes because I feel like everything is so important about like and I want to be able to like call back to this and call back to that um and as much as like 
it's a bleak movie. There are surprisingly also some very funny moments, which I feel like you need to have in movies like these. Like you have to have some sort of levity. Um, like the fact that Mills gets this like list of books from Somerset and then he's like, I'm just going to get the Cliff Notes version. Um, that was that was funny. Even at the end when they bring John Doe to the um, the field and there's a dead dog when they get out of the car and John Doe is like, I didn't do that. Didn't that, do that. To, that was my like <laughs> one of my favorite parts, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Just some really good dialogue. Uh, yeah. I think that's it crackles every single scene. It just is so, even even if it's not maybe necessarily a scene of suspense, the the dialogue is still. You're like, ooh, now what's he gonna say? Oh, now what is he mm-hmm. gonna say? It's just yes, it, it's so rewatchable too, despite its bleakness. Although every time I do rewatch it, I'm like, man, why did I watch this? <laughs> <laughs> if I I don't like to me, I I. I'm afraid to rewatch it. I feel like I need to give myself some time in between and then maybe I'll forget, you know, a little bit and then rewatch it. Maybe skip some parts that I uh, don't feel like rewatching, but it is a really good movie. Um, And it definitely makes you want to find out. It's like a mystery. Like you want to find out what's going to happen next. You want to find out, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, like there are all these kills happening, but it's like, how, who, how is this person going to be killed next? And, and all of this stuff and it, the way the story unfolds through the mysteries and the little clues that John, um, John Doe leaves behind, I think we're all done really well to keep you on the edge of your seat. I think, go ahead, Spro, sorry. I was going to say, well, it's such a tight script and it's so impressive that it was actually Andrew Kevin Walker's like first script. Yeah. Like, this is what he was trying to peddle about to get discovered into Hollywood. And the fact that um, David Fincher, like they, they first attached the director, excuse me, um, of Christmas vacation to it was supposedly the first director that was going to direct it. And then they rewrote it like 13 times. And then David Fincher got his hands on the original script and they just went back to that. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is kind of like, we could swear on this show, right? Absolutely. Okay. The whole thing was like a studio fuck you piece. Um, Brad Pitt was upset with studios because they redid the end of Legends of the Fall. Fincher was upset with studios because of what happened with Alien 3. Like he said that after Alien 3 and his experience on that, he said that he would rather get, I think, pancreatic cancer than ever direct a film again, was his pull quote for that. And then Andrew Kevin Walker went through the ringer with all the rewrites of seven to the point where they said that they did not want the ending that came Mm -hmm. about what the ending the studio wanted was a chase scene of course and then them finding john doe in a church and tracy is pregnant and she gets to live and escape and it was just completely different and so everybody everybody kind of pulled together on seven to fight the studio and get the ending that Andrew Kevin Walker wanted, which is what's in the box and everything that transpired. I can't believe there was so much debate and argument over the ending. And I feel like the ending, it needs to be how it is. Like it, it needs to be that bleak. Um, honestly, just because of how the whole other like rest of the movie unfolds. I feel like if it ended, in like a happy sense like it it would feel so tonally different from the rest of the entire movie what's also weird i mean what uh lee was talking about with what movies were out at that time 
Rory and Michelle's high school reunion and everything. The nineties were such a polished era of movie. Like everybody was happy go lucky. Mm. You know, if it was a high school movie, it was can't hardly wait. Like it was all just like spit and shine. And then seven was so bleak. And when it came out in 1995, the studios were like, nobody's going to like this movie. This movie is too dark. And then when it came out, everybody was thirsting for some darkness, apparently, and it blew up. It was a commercial success. I yeah. think I disagree. I think I disagree with what you said, though, about the 90s. I think the er- you think so? Well, I think the early 90s were, I mean, the early 90s were the, the independent cinema boom. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if the studios had ever released anything quite so daring, at least in our, uh, I can't think of anything, um, that matches seven, but yeah, maybe in bleakness, but, um, the, and there was a little, sure. There was some eighties carryover, but I think the nineties stacked up like seven would never have been released in the eighties. I think it fits really well. When you look back now, it fits with, I mean, the opening song, I remember sitting in the theater. It's, it was, it was one of the many memories I have being like over the credits where it shows John Doe, ripping the, mm. the skin off of his fingernails and writing in his books and bandaging himself and all you can see are hands and it's all fucked up. And the, and the, it's like, looks like they've scratched the shit out of the film and there's this song playing. I'm like, what is this song? Oh, I know this song. And then the very final, you know, right when it says Dave, directed by David Fincher, you hear Trent Reznor go, you get me closer to God. I was like, mm. oh, it's a closer remix. So I think it, it <laughs> and, and because of that song, I think it really fits into the the early '90s. So I disagree with you, Spiro. Well, I think like I look no, at, I like, disagree with you. I mean, that's fine. Let's have a conversation. Uh, so, but like, <laughs> 1992 is Silence of the Lambs, right? And then 1999 is American Pie. And I kind of <laughs> look at the spectrum on that front. And so seven is that like that dark period. And then they try it again with Fight Club and Fight Club gets railed against, right? Like Fight Club is not the commercial box office success that it was. It became a cult classic. So I think like, that's what I'm saying when it's like Mm -hmm. Shining Diamond 90s. I think the end of the 90s, far different than the beginning of the 90s. I think the first half of the 90s was a lot more permissibility. I think once you have something like Titanic in 97, by the way, Silence of the Lambs was 91. Um, God, I, hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> Isn't it good we do a podcast together then? Um, yeah, I, I just think it, it, I disagree still. It fits well. I think the end of the 90s, once you started having Titanic and boy bands, and then everybody, then everything got bright and shiny. And I mean, what's the movie that we talked about last time uh, when you asked Claire what her favorite, one of her favorite episodes was? You've Got Mail. I think You've Got Mail is mm. the poster child for the late 90s American cinema. Speaking of like, the 90s and i don't i mean brad pitt himself too along with like morgan freeman um i feel like the dynamic between these two characters is very they're very yin and yang you know throughout the entire movie and i really love their dynamic together because i feel like they each bring something different to the table as far as strengths go personally i mean I feel like Somerset could be fine without Mills and there's uh, Mills offers like, I think the, the uh, confidence maybe, 
but Somerset definitely has more of like an analytical mindset and just to see them to interact and how they both approach these this very harrowing situ- situation was really cool to see on screen um you know Somerset like I mentioned he's observant and inquisitive but Mills is more like cocky and a hot shot and there's also like a, a dynamic between their ranks where Somerset is the veteran he's a little bit older he's had tons of experience and done this for so so long but then Mills is this new kid on the block trying to make a name for himself and just to like bring these two together who don't seem like they would mesh at all seem to work really well together yeah absolutely and what I really like about um, what you just said with did Somerset need Mills? Probably not. But in the same instance, Mills busts down the door. Like he goes after him. He almost catches him in the middle. And that chasing mm-hmm. is like the only chasing. The studios wanted a chasing and they just put it on foot. And you got Mills bust around the corner. And then they said, like, Somerset is very, he doesn't want to go around the corner because anybody could be taking a shot at him. Yeah. So, it's that it's that cocksure Lee Charles, you know, way about people that bust down the doors. And then there's the Somersets like me that just kind of hang back and go, let's see. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it's and I think it. Well, I mean, I think it's funny, too, Spro, that you identify with Mills because hotshot's a great word, uh, way to describe Mills. And you, you do root for him when he's when he's being Mills. Um, you want him to, you know, when, when they're threatening to, to take him off the job and Somerset sets, like, this should not be his first assignment. And he's like, oh, come on, man. I'm sitting right here. (laughs) Um, yeah, you, it builds the, it's not just like, Hey, let's have these two characters that are like a sitcom where it's like, one of them is Mm. it, it builds to that ending. And if you want to get really, um, I don't know, accusatory, if you want to get really evil. Tracy deserved nothing, but uh, somebody needed to teach Mills a lesson. Wait, what? Is that too dark? (laughs) 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 Maybe not in the way that it was done, obviously, but, you know, Mills, somebody needed to teach Mills a lesson, I think. He was, uh, he was, uh, he I, th- I mean, he got he got pistol whipped in the middle of the. Yes. I feel like that's yes, enough. Yes, you're right. All right, that's enough. All right. <laughs> if anything, Sorry. then Coming it should have been Mills's head in the box. Like, let there you that go. Be there the you lesson. go. Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I do Tracy though. Like we haven't really talked about Tracy, yeah. but like Tracy is. I don't think you could cast a better pick. I know, I don't know like the ins and outs of their personal life. I know that Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow were engaged, I think either after the movie or while it was filming or whatnot. But Gwyneth Paltrow in this role, like every time she is on screen, she is the only bright object in the movie. And I think she's perfectly cast and she has very little screen time, Mm -hmm. but it's so rememberable. So by the time you get to the ending, everybody's feeling a little bit of wrath if it's her, her head in the box. Yeah, definitely. And there was even like a small little, like a, a, a story that one of the test audience members came out and told off David Fincher and was like, you didn't have to show us her head in the box. And David Fincher's like, we didn't, we didn't show you the head in the box. And she's like, you know, you did. And like walked off and David Fincher's like, oh, I guess that worked. You know, <laughs> Cause he, he approached it in a very like Hitchcockian manner where you did not see 
the blood and gore, there's like a four frame shot um, that is kind of like internally in Mills's head, which is a weird shot to include because it's the only kind of like um, otherworldly, I guess, Mm -hmm. glimpse in this whole film. The whole film is like steeped in verisimilitude and like realism. And then you get to that one shot right before he unloads his pistol and it's his remembrance of Gwyneth Paltrow's face, which is crazy. Crazy to insert. Yeah, I have to say that like when that clip happened at the end, I was like pretty much like trying like looking but not looking because I really didn't want to see Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. And um I was like, I don't think that they did show it, even though I was looking through my fingers. But yeah, I mean I the dynamic between I think Somerset and Tracy too is interesting. And Tracy is like such such a vital part of the story even though she doesn't have a lot of screen time because it's Tracy who ends up calling to invite Somerset over to dinner and I feel like she did that because she knows Mills needs help personally I that's what that's never like explicitly stated but I feel like her having the initiative to invite him over to dinner was a strategic move to also you know get to know who her husband's going to be working with but also to potentially like bring them two together in a very like comfortable personal setting of their home and um yeah just like really launch them into figuring out what's going what the hell is going on not to completely shift gears but i'm curious if there was because you said that part of you was like sort of morbidly like oh no so which what's the next seven deadly sin you're gonna get to and was there one which murder kind of stuck out to you the most? Um, lust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you, that one. when they, when they flashed the Polaroid, could you tell what that was? Oh, uh, at what point when they were at the, the shop or when they were in the, yes. When he's like, room. Hey, did you, I can't remember which it is, but he's got that Polaroid with, I had to be told what it was. Cause I couldn't tell what it was. There's like a shot. Yeah, I remember when they first show the Polaroid and I I literally wrote in my notes. Let me look it up. Um, is that a bondage leg suit with a knife in the crotch? Question mark. And then I was like, okay, I can't take any more notes after this. I need to take a break. I can't. I can't. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was probably the worst because i was like i was after the movie i you know i had a buddy that went and um casprone i didn't hadn't even met when this movie came out yet we didn't meet until freshman year of high school but i had a friend that saw it and i was like what was that i'm like i didn't get that and he had to explain it to me and i was like oh my god you should have not asked don't ask questions you don't want to know the answers to i guess i guess i never like paused the movie i never like really looked at the polaroid to me it looks like an elbow right like and that's like i don't know i've never really like dived into i don't want to know how the mechanism works i mean the the well actor was his... sorry i was not gonna try Leland, to explain Leland. it to you no it's fine <laughs> um but that act that actor is one of my favorite he appeared in pearl harbor and i was like no 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 like i'm only gonna see you as this guy freaking out in the interrogation room um his name is i wrote it down leland orser um, who would who stayed up for like three nights straight yeah. to 
to look that fatigued. And then they delayed his scene for another day. So he stayed up a, another day and then hyperventilated mm. himself for that one scene. That to me is like one of the most powerful performances. That's like, that's once that's where the saying, you know, there are no small roles yeah. comes into play because that man ate every second he was on screen. Yeah. He was pretty, Absolutely. and it was nice that it was, he was pretty great. He was in, juxtaposed to the guy that in uh, the ticket booth he, in the other thing that was just. Oh, you know, yeah. They kind of crossed demeanor in the, the other cross way. cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Alien Resurrection, too. He kind of is yeah. the same. He plays sort of the same part. No, don't remember that. Remember the uh, Alien Resurrection? I cried at the end of that movie when the uh, alien died. But do you remember but him? We digress. Do you again. remember him <laughs> in that, though? He's this. He, they take him with him or they take him along with them because he has an alien inside of him. And they have to break it to him. Mm. You know? Oh yeah, I, and I he like freaks that. out again. Yeah, he's pretty good at he's pretty good at freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy can't catch a break. I mean, <laughs> um, did you all have a worst kill other than the ending? I mean, gluttony is. I always go to gluttony first because they spend so much time on it, and this is the sort of the exposition of. You know, you get you get to understand Somerset. You know, that's the scene where he kicks Mills out, um, and it, it, you spend so much time on it. It's just so shocking to see this enormous corpse, and then mm-hmm. you see him laid out. He's you know he's got the the stitch marks on him when they've got him laid out in the morgue, and uh, I guess <laughs> I guess Fincher felt bad for the actor that he had to be this big immense. So in the movie, he gave him like this enormous prosthetic. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, that. that's the, that's your, did you read that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that one always just sticks with me. Cause when, when he holds the, when the coroner holds the plastic bag up with the stomach in it, I don't know, just so much about that kill it feels like it feels like as the kills go on in the movie they get quicker and quicker and there's less and less um so that i think gluttony is the one that will always stick out to me yeah and i i don't know if there's like a worse kill i always felt bad for pride because i felt like pride was kind of simply glossed over like, yeah this is just this is one that happened you know but if anything i think the one that always made me think and think and think and think was the wrath which mm. was the killer himself or um, Mills Mills. Yeah. Mills is wrath. And so you had to think about it where he's not actually killed. His life is just over. Mm-hmm. And that to me, because the ending, I love ambiguous endings and open endings. And this is clearly that because really what they wanted it to be was the gunfire over, over and over again. And then bam credits and just end it right there. And so they tacked on the ending of seeing Pitt going into the back of the cruiser and Morgan Freeman saying, well, I'll be around. And then the Ernest Hemingway quote and then the copter chopper at the end. But just to see Pitt getting into the police car and he is obviously in shock because his wife just was decapitated and murdered. And then he killed the suspect in his unborn audience of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like that to me is the most horrific one. On top of lust, but more so for the guy that had to do it, mm. because now he has to live with the fact of every of what he did. 
It's kind of like Sloth too. Like there's so many people that didn't die in this movie. Sloth, when they say like, um, he says, detective, he would die of shock right now if you shine a flashlight in his eyes, but he couldn't talk to you anyway because he chewed off his tongue for nourishment a long time ago. Like the darkness and he still has everything. And he still has hell to look forward to. That's my favorite. I think that's probably my favorite line. I forgot about Sloth. The girl sitting next to me in the theater when I saw this after, you know, the, the, the guy in bed, the sloth guy, it's Dr. Cox who plays California, the like SWAT team leader who goes up to him and he goes, you got what you deserve. He like whispers it to it. And then the dude's like, the girl next to me at like 10 seconds after that happened, stood up and she had to cross over me. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, you done with this? And she's like. Uh, no, I just uh, wet myself, and I looked. O- I looked over, and there was a piss spot on oh the theater God. seat next to me. I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> poor thing." So, yeah, she never. Ca- she did not come back. Oh, I don't blame oh. her. I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it would be hilarious if she listens to this episode. <laughs> she's like, "Son of a bitch!" You didn't name her. Oh, I don't know who it was because I saw it alone. It was a stranger. Yes. It was a stranger. You could give a fake name next. You know. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about all of these is that like we never actually see the kills happen, which I think is so smart because we all know that our imaginations are 10 times worse than what you would actually see on screen. And so it just makes these kills, I think, so much more horrifying, especially lust. Um, But... Yeah, like I want to go through these like gluttony when I watched it and found out that they weaponized spaghetti like this. Um, spaghetti is my favorite food, by the way. And I was appalled <laughs> that anybody would make a man eat spaghetti to the point where he gets kicked and his stomach bursts. Um, that's not cool. Spaghetti should not be used that way. I don't I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> good um yeah so that was my first like that was definitely my first initial take was that wow this this is intense and this is gonna keep getting worse and it feels like it can't get any worse than that right like being forced to eat spaghetti until your stomach literally explodes how can it get any worse than that but then you go to greed and greed like was an interesting one because that one seemed like people people cared but they were kind of like this defense lawyer is has not been like the greatest so that seemed like there was definitely like a more of a motive for him to to be killed and essentially like his whole thing was that he was the defense attorney for Victor, who ended up being sloth, and Victor was had a sordid like history of like drugs and armed robbery, and he also attempted rape of a minor, and so like Eli Gould was the one who got him out of prison, um, or didn't like have him serve his sentence as as long. So like for greed and sloth, you're kind of like, well, I can understand why someone would come after those two. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the darkness coming out a little bit. Yeah, I feel bit. I feel like it. <laughs> For gluttony and lust, I'm like, this guy just is his not his fault, maybe that he's big. Like, why does that have to be a sin? And then lust, like, I mean, this is a sex worker, so again, like, why is that a sin? Pride again, like 
they gloss over that one. So I feel like that is also, yeah, very much. So the only two that felt not like, I don't want to say justified, but it seemed like these were not good people were greed and sloth. Uh, yeah. And I think that obviously the most innocent would be Tracy, maybe just because mm-hmm. we know her. Um, so, yeah. I do like how when we talk about like the tightness of the script and everything, when it comes to like he pulls out the fridge, right? Because they find the the scrapings of the floor inside the stomach as well. And that points to the one of my favorite quotes now in life is long as the way and hard that through hell leads up to light from John Milton's Paradise Lost. And that's what gets them on the, the library kick and everything like that. But the tightness of that, it wasn't just, you know, Somerset pulling the fridge or like seeing something behind it, like, ooh, what's that? Like he had to go back mm-hmm. to it. It's just it's such an incredible screenplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they give you like these little breadcrumbs throughout and Somerset really is the only one who's picking up on them. Um, he's really the only one who has the caliber, I feel like, to realize what John Doe is doing throughout all of this and follow the breadcrumbs and piece everything together. Um, and that really, like, they think speaks to how both Mills and Somerset approach their detective career, um, where Somerset does it go to the library and he looks up all of these books and you know he scans all the pages and he really like immerses himself into reading what this serial killer has been reading up on so that he can pick up on these clues and yeah I think the way that Somerset works through this is just like amazing to see and Morgan Freeman I mean it's just amazing as like an actor to watch through these things too and then but yeah, Somerset, I feel like, is the, it's like almost like John Doe is leaving these clues for Somerset, and Somerset's the one who is really only capable of picking them up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even down to like the the differences between how they dress. Mm-hmm. Somerset is always in a nice suit, and you see Brad Pitt taking the pre-tied ties off of a hanger and putting that over and just like smashing his hair down and drinking cold coffee. And it's just every detail of this script. And, you know, we talked about, we talk about David Fincher a lot on Spro and Lee take on the Academy and his, how he does a hundred shots and he's very detail oriented. And he's, he even is talking about like the one thing I think that upsets him. If I read this correctly was he doesn't like how there's a shot at the end of seven when Brad Pitt is unloading the, uh, the pistol into John Doe, uh, Somerset is just standing there helpless and he doesn't like that Somerset was helpless in that one tiny shot, but he's not going to go back and, you know, re rewrite the whole mm-hmm. thing or remake it. So, but you could definitely tell the attention to detail of this guy who has been pretty much ridden off by Hollywood because of alien three. And so he's still coming back and pulling his a game with a, with an unknown writer mm-hmm. and a guy that, <clears throat> his interview with the vamp, his long locks, Brad Pitt, you know, like everybody, this movie should not be as good as it is. Yeah, or, and as, as dark as it, as it is, shouldn't be enjoyable. You brought up the library scene, which is one of my favorite with uh, Bach, box air in the background, just playing right through it. And then um, I think my favorite little scene in the whole movie is it's very tiny. And it's the last time you see Tracy, but, Uh, Mills climbs into bed with her 
and just puts his arm over her after a long day of work. And she go, and uh, he goes, I love you. And she just says, I know. Mm-hmm. And that's the last time you see Tracy until you think that you see her head in a box. That one lady saw it. A lot of good, um, a lot of good bit characters too. I mean, there's really, your main characters are Somerset, Mills, Tracy, and then John Doe. Everybody else kind of comes in and comes out. I think probably the next lead would be who? Arlie Ermey. Um, And he has, you know, we were talking about comedy, you know, how some lines were pretty funny. I think Arlie Ermey has a pretty great line when they're sitting there talking and he's at, (laughs) and the phone's ringing and he picks it up. He goes, this ain't even my desk. And just, (laughs) I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted (laughs) to be sitting at someone else's desk and answer it and say that. Hasn't worked out yet though. Um, yeah. But yeah, just so many great, um, like the very opening scene where th- the Somerset shows up to like a domestic dispute and the husband shot the wife or the wife shot the husband or they both shot each other. And Somerset goes, did the kid see anything? And mm-hmm. you can barely see the cop. He's kind of like in the background of the shot. And he's like, what? Who the fuck cares? They're dead. You know, Somerset, we're all going to be really happy when you're gone. Just like, do you remember that line? Yes, yeah, I, I do. So, I acted like I was shocked, but I do remember that line. <laughs> yeah, just so many. I mean, right down to the guy who plays John Doe's lawyer, which I think is the last mm. new. No, the that's not the last new character. The last new character is the the parcel delivery guy. Yeah. Which I think, is that our cat? I think that's mm. our cat can't remember their first name. Uno Momento. Richmond okay. Arquette, yes. Richmond Arquette. Yeah. Yeah, Good there's stuff. really no small role in this in this movie. Um, everybody had like an important role to play. And I feel like we haven't really talked much about Kevin Spacey being John Doe. Like we've talked about him, obviously, but like Kevin Spacey as John Doe. And the fact that like, so obviously I watched this movie now when I Google it, you see Kevin Spacey's name pop up. So I'm like, oh, I know he's in this movie. But when people first watched this movie, he was intentionally left out of the trailer, out of the opening credits for that surprise factor. Um, I had read he was cast like two days before filming. Like there was some discrepancy and he had to be, I don't know what, if there was another actor involved for his role, but um, he had to like hop in last minute to film this and I think he does a really incredible job being very sinister um, and the way just like he, you really don't he's really not in the movie um, until like mostly like the last like what 30 minutes he's peppered in in a few different places but the way that it's slowly like unveiled and revealed about who this man is in these little like moments of like you know, when, well, first of all, when they're uncovering all of the different murders, but then when they, going back to the library, when um, they realize that they can look him up based off his library card, and, like, that's the thing that gets them to find out where he lives in his apartment, I just felt like the library had an important role to play here, so I feel like this is a PSA to support your public library. (laughs) I just got my card for the new city that I live in. Nice. There you go. Um, 
Yeah, so what I read about Kevin Spacey and his involvement is they really wanted another actor who really appeared like the composite sketch of the Zodiac Killer. Mm. And we know that David Fincher would then oh, go on right. to direct Zodiac. Oh, that's right. It was, yeah. Bo- it was um, Bo Bridges. Oh, no. Not, not no. Bo Bridges. Um, I get him confused with who I'm thinking of. Who's the dude from with, Deliverance? With the right answer. Who's the dude from Deliverance? And he was the dad and he was Rudy's dad and Rudy... He just passed away. Yes. It is that guy. Keep talking. I'm just doing a quick Google. You all keep talking. Yeah, yeah he was he was Rudy's he was in he was in Burt Reynolds. Um, no, no, no. But you're oh. that's one of the oh, No. No, he's the uh he was the bad guy in shooter. He's like the senator in shooter. Mm. Not John Voight. Right? Not John Voight. Okay. Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty. Ned okay. Beatty. Beatty. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyways, yeah, so they <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so they no worries. Glad we got his name out there. Um, so it was originally they wanted him, then they were going for Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey was too expensive at the time. Um, and they were like, they're like, okay, we can't get Kevin Spacey. So they went off into different directions, and finally Kevin Spacey was like, I'll do the part. But Kevin Spacey was like, I just did swimming with sharks the usual suspects an outbreak. And I feel like if any of those blow up, people are going to see me as third billing in this movie. And it's going to, they're going to know that I'm going to going to be the killer eventually. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, we want to do that because we need to promote the movie. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do seven. If you put me at at third billing, you got to keep me a secret. This is from Kevin Spacey's mouth, but um, it was, an amazing marketing thing because I didn't really realize I fell in love. Oh, it's so gross to say now. I really liked Kevin Spacey in the ref. Right. And that's where, when he showed up in seven, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's the guy from that R rated Christmas movie. This is amazing. Um, and then it's pretty cool that the first credit that you see on screen at the end of seven is Kevin Spacey as John Doe. Mm-hmm. And then the credits go in reverse order. And I was like, I love everything about this damn movie. <laughs> um, and so it, then I had an attack of conscience because I was like, Kevin Spacey has been outed as, as kind of a slimeball creep. I was like, can this still be my favorite movie? I love the fact that He's when honorated. people ask you, what is your favorite movie? Slightly. <laughs> um, that uh, people like, what is your favorite movie is such a hard question to answer, you know, because it's kind of like, what, what mood am I mm-hmm. in? Am I in the mood for romantic comedy? Which genre are we trying to select? But I would always say seven. And for the longest time, people would be like, mm, that's a good one. And I'm like, ah, I found my answer. And then everything comes out about Kevin Spacey and Anthony Rapp, not exonerated for that big guy. But the... um I'm just being devil's advocate. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then you could kind of, I retain myself with seven. I retain that as my favorite movie because Kevin Spacey plays such an evil character and then gets his comeuppance at the end. And I go, ah, people can't judge me for this anymore. (laughs) His speech in the car. I mean, I like usual suspects. Um, I, I think I think you put anybody in the role of verbal Kent in usual suspects and they're going to be up for a best supporting actor and maybe win. I think he's better in this movie than he was in usual suspects. That's what I think. I think when uh, 
Pitt says, I, when he and Pitt are bandying when they're on their way in the car and um, before Pitt blows up at him, um, you know, sit back, you fucking freak. Before that, where he's like, oh, no, no, no. I thought you just killed innocent people. And he goes, innocent? Is that supposed to be funny? And then he goes into the whole, I mean, he is absolutely amazing in that scene. And it is, I mean, he sells, he sells all those kills. Like, you know, I I feel like I'm making myself sound like I'm like a aspiring murderer. I'm really not. (laughs) No. Um, but he really he really sells like all of those kills like none of these people were innocent none of us are innocent um tracy was innocent would we say would we say somerset is innocent maybe yeah yeah absolutely though he's kind of a quitter he's kind of a quitter though if you think about the scene between go ahead uh, yeah no 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 I, i see what you're saying i did read that so like in orthodox christianity i guess despair is considered the eighth deadliest sin and they're saying their connection was that somerset could be despair just because of his attitude toward his career at that that's point. awesome I've and never i thought that was that. i never knew that either um did not know um this was also in imdb trivia so this was probably just i don't i think it i did google it it is a real thing um i just love to, it. only just only christians that, yeah. could be like oh you're despairing hmm you're That's upsetting the lord <laughs> what, what is wrong but yeah with that you? fits i mean yeah <laughs> that does fit i mean he is he mm-hmm. is like i kind of the way you know not to make it about me but that's the way i felt about education like i was at the end of my rope i think i was Mm. doing more harm than good so it's like time to get the fuck out so well he he has such that good speech too where he's like it's easier to beat your kid than it is to raise it it's easier to cheat on your wife than it is to be faithful apathy is the solution you know Mm. it's like jesus yeah (laughs) this guy has been through the ringer yeah absolutely i mean that whole car scene really gives you a lot of insight into john doe's psyche and just the fact that he's fed up with the world and he doesn't want to tolerate sins anymore and this to me also was really giving me a lot of clues that Mills was going to be wrath at the end. Like, I think I started picking up on it during the car chase scene, um, just in a lot of the ways that Mills was uh, conveying himself. I'm like, he gets really emotional. Is he going to be wrath? And then in the car scene, to me, that just was John Doe, like riling up mills to a point where he was going to eventually push him over the edge um in the way that he did so yeah like it it all seemed to make sense the only thing to me that was a little confusing was like john doe's obviously been planning this for so long like at what point did he know that mills was gonna be wrath and like at, at what point did he make that decision was it like predetermined from his old job was it not decided until he got hired on was it not decided until that car chasing like i that to me is like a big question i have from this movie it's a good one i mean it is good and like the whole thing is is if mills doesn't kill him 
the plan didn't work yeah. out. You know, Mills had to kill him for the whole thing to to work the way that it did. One of the rewrite suggestions was because Somerset was at the end of his life and because he connected with Tracy that he kills John Doe mm-hmm. before Mills is able to. So Mills can continue on with his life and Somerset just spends the rest of his days in Shawshank. Or See, and that's something, I mean, obviously Pitt's life is ruined because he loses his wife and unborn child. Um, but I feel like what we know about police and what we, I feel like the brotherhood would look out. I don't think Pitt would see jail time. Does anybody, I, I, I just, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Well, now we got a time to kill. Situation. I think it would be, I think well, it would, John Grisham. Now first of all, it would be man manslaughter which it would be third degree murder, right? I am not uh, great. Yeah, on the me neither. I think it would be, I think it would be, I think it would be man. I think it would be third degree murder. And I think it would get thrown out by a judge. It's, mm. First degree is premeditated. Second degree is what? Not meditated. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yet. I still, I do. I think, the, I think, uh, I think he would be, I think it would be second degree. I think murder. he would be taken care of. Frankly, personally, I, I mean, I would, be, I could believe that for sure. I could, I could see that. But yeah, I, I, I remember watching when I got my seven DVD, which is the boy. That's an old guy saying when I got my seven DVD, but it's like the composition notebook DVD. Like you pull it out of the composition notebook. Um, but uh, yeah, it's got like all these animatics of storyboards for all of the endings they didn't use. Oh wow! I love I love that shit. I I remember watching that quite a few times and them explaining everything. So anyway, sorry, I did step away for a second. Oh no, you're fine. Um, I was gonna ask going back to like John Doe earlier in the movie, um, when it's revealed that he was the photographer, that to me was one of the craziest moments, and I did not go back and rewatch that uh, the entire movie so i only watched it once but i did go look on youtube at that clip and to see if i could tell it was kevin spacey and some say that they can tell it's kevin spacey but i cannot tell that it is kevin spacey whatsoever i don't know if you guys could tell but to me it just did and it didn't even sound oh, yeah. like him either yeah he's doing a voice i got your picture man it's yeah. definitely kevin i got your picture definitely kevin spacey yeah well it's his voice but they do that like whole like he throws his hands up, right? Mm. Like at the perfect and he's wearing moment a wig. as soon as he slaps the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But it definitely does sound like Kevin Spacey doing his best Hoboken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and even when they like go into his, his apartment and all the little things that they find. Well, not little, but just things that they find along the way. Like the weapons. There's a cross and a Bible and the spaghetti. And then he has things like almost like like showcased yeah the spaghetti sauce like he's got little like i don't know monumental things on his walls that like indicate all of his kills so like the spaghetti he's got them like framed off like like trophies so he's got the spaghetti sauce you didn't no yeah they the flashlight just goes like over it like real quickly Uh, yeah but it's all dark he's got it like He's got them in like cases on like in glass cases on the wall or something. Like there's the spaghetti sauce is one of them, and then Victor's hand is the other one. Um, and then and then there's like all of like the two thousand notebooks, which I read that they actually wrote 
in all of those notebooks and it cost $15,000 and I cannot like the amount of detail that just even went into making this movie is truly something else. I mean, how staggering would that have been if you were just one of the extras playing a cop, like a, a, a featured extra, or you had like one line, you know, like I think the lady that is like tapping the phones or whatever, or dusting for prints. Yeah. To find out, you know, standing there just shooting shit with the other actors and somebody be like, all of those notebooks are filled up. It's like, fuck you. No, they're not. Right. And then you just pick a random one and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing to me too, how creepy it is to, to be in his apartment, even crawling with cops. It is still like, get me the fuck out of here. Yeah. 100%. Well, I like that. The callback because it's right after the chase one Brad Pitt has his cast on now because he actually like cut open his tendons chasing after John Doe and slipping on a thing. I forget like a bonnet, the car bonnet. And he went through the windshield and cut up his tendons. And so then they had to write in his cast, which is, I always find amazing because it just seems to work perfectly. And then also the fact that John Doe had a gun to his head, right? In that moment. And then he calls back in the car and he's like, you're only alive because I let you. Mm. And it's like, Jesus Christ, that is like that line probably plays in my head more so than anything else of like, the control that he was wielding in the whole situation. Because I wondered, I mean, John Doe was surprised. He didn't know that they were going to come to his apartment. Like, and he says that on the phone, he says, I don't know how you found me, but we're going to figure this out. His plan was to turn himself in eventually. And then he has his main pursuer right there. He's probably, you know, seething with rage because we know that he has rage because he vomits on a train because he hates a guy so much because the guy won't stop talking. And then he he controls himself and doesn't shoot Mills in that in that situation so he can enact his plan. It's deep. Yeah, very. <laughs> I mean, as soon as like I saw him take the gun away, I, I I felt very confident that he had plans for Mills further down the road. And and yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's again, like I don't maybe at that point, I don't know, like at what point he readjusted his schedule so to speak when he was on the phone with them because he was like i'm gonna like change my scheduled kills i guess because you're on to me now um but yeah i mean it it really feels like he's in control most maybe like i mean the entire movie he's in control i'd say he and he he and somerset are pretty closely matched yeah Um, i would say so and speaking of summer somerset do we think do we think that he retires in the end? I thought it said, I thought he was like, I'm not going to retire. He says, he doesn't say that. He says, where are you going to, uh, Arlie Ermey goes, where are you going to be? And he said, around, I'll be around, which is sort of mm. feels like him being, being like, uh, I guess I'm not going anywhere. I guess I'm still needed. Yeah. I guess that to me felt like he was saying he would still be, be there i don't know i guess like you could take it any sort of number of ways but like the whole rest of the movie he was like ready to get out at that point and and it's really just like him becoming very cynical over everything that he's had to deal with for the last however many years that he's been a detective and he talks to mills in these different scenes about like how he feels that 
there's like the speech that he gives where he's like um he feels that all they do is pick up clues and it's like picking up diamonds on a deserted island in the hopes that you're rescued and that's how he feels about picking up all of these uh clues is that they're just like stored away and there's like a lot of unavenged corpses and so you know he just he he just doesn't care at it at some point and so for me like for him to say like i'll stick around meant that he was gonna stay and be back in it i agree i think i think he I don't know, maybe out of some sort of um, allegiance to to Mills mm. and what Mills said to him, because Mills, more or less, Mills calls him. I can't remember the dialogue right now, but he's like, nah, you're it's a cop out. You're copping out. Mm. You want to quit. Um, you're giving up. Um, so, but do you want to do you want to know the line? Because I got. Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. I do. All right. Here's my Mills. <laughs> I don't think you're quitting because you believe these things you say. I don't. I think you want to believe them because you're quitting. And you want me to agree with you and you want me to say, yeah, 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 you're right. It's all fucked up. It's a fucking mess. We should all go live in a fucking log cabin. But I won't. I won't say that. I don't agree with you. I do not. I can't. And that is the idealism of that can only be found in a youthful person who is just beginning a career <laughs> again, it just makes me think of me when I was a young teacher and all the young teachers that I see uh, who are like, I'm going to save them. I'm saving all of them. They're going to, I'm going to raise these test scores and da da do to be. Yeah. That's, and they're not, they're not, I mean, that's, it's laudable. It's, it's applaudable in spite of the fact that Mills is kind of a cocksure prick. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the what smartest makes, thing like, he says in the entire movie. True, very true. And I think that's what makes like the ending even more devastating because Mills wants to be this hero type and wants to do the right thing and get the bad guy and come out the other end like okay. And then this happens, and you know, there's no way. He can, I don't know how he can come back from this. He'll be living in a log cabin probably somewhere. <laughs> well, the original the original opening of the film was Somerset looking at a house in the countryside. Mm. Like it's still in the screenplay. If you like find the screenplay online or whatnot, he's looking at it and he cuts out a rose from the wallpaper and he uses that, I think, as like a bookmark. And so the ending is, I think, him returning to the house. So I think yeah. it's him going off and being in solitude and and you know finding his peaceful ending i think that's how it is don't quote me on that here's more about somerset i've always been curious about this and i'm sure spro will tell us the exact answer but what did you make of the um the thing that piano players use to keep a beat i want a metronome metronome. i was gonna say pentagram (laughs) yes no that's for the devil sure is uh what what do you make of of the significance of of that uh and then how you know it seems to it seems to assuage him like that would drive me absolutely crazy um and then he smashes it later in the like what did you make of that claire to me that 
the way I first interpreted it was it's kind of like how you have to fall asleep to white noise or some people have to fall asleep to white noise. Like you need like some sort of steady sound and something that has a little bit of order to it maybe. Um, And then when I was just looking on IMDb trivia, just doing my note taking like somebody had wrote how it's a symbol of patience and making order from chaos. So that seemed to make sense. So when he does eventually like throw it out, I feel like he's starting to lose his patience a little bit um, with everything going on. I don't know if that's the right interpretation, but that's, (laughs) that sounds good to me. I mean, that's, it's all juxtaposition to Mills, right? So he uses the metronome, um, which is supposed to be a very calming, uh, very practical, very precise thing, while also throwing a switchblade at a dartboard. So those two images kind of offset each other. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you see is Mills waking up to the city traffic noises and whatnot um, and construction. So I think that's from the from the sterile artistic side of things. That's just kind of how that was placed in there Mm -hmm. but i agree more with claire than i do myself (laughs) um i want to ask you guys what did you think of somerset and tracy at the diner scene when she tells him that she's pregnant um but what were your thoughts because it to me like they had only like seemingly met the one time and i get it like it's if if morgan freeman comes into your life you feel like you want to tell him everything probably but Uh just that she sees him as a confidant so quickly um, seemed, seemed fast, but what were, what were your all thoughts? Yeah, I I could see that. I could see, I mean, from a a woman's perspective, you might be like, she really doesn't have anybody she could just get on the horn with real quick. Or, um, you know, maybe she sees him not only as um, some kind of a life expert, but also an expert in the the city that they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember. I, I remember his answers are very like, you know, he does the like hands up, like I do, I can't advise you one way or the, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but he's, I, he's, he's very, all she really ends up getting from him is a warmness mm-hmm. and, and reassurance. So um, yeah. yeah, that is, it feels a little bit and you know, maybe I'll give it over to the the screenwriter here to answer, but it does feel a little bit like we need another reason to bring Tracy back in so that when what happens happens, um, we know more, you have that dramatic irony that we know more than Mm. Mills does. So, yeah. I think it all goes back to, like you said, we need to bring Tracy back for the dramatic irony, but I think also for just a person that isn't negative, right? Like she's being a negative in the scene, don't get me wrong, but in the same instance, like you fall in love with her in the dinner scene. You fall in love with her based off of um, who she is and how he sees her and you're looking at her through his eyes when he's waking her up to say goodbye for work in the morning and everything. So the moment that you see Tracy again, Gwyneth Paltrow on the screen, you're like, okay, I can breathe. You know, there's not going to be some sloth victim <laughs> jump scaring me and making me piss my movie theater seat. There's not going to be, you know, this gory greed victim um, lawyer. So like, you know, when Tracy's on screen, you're good. You could sit back. 
And you're kind of shocked then that she is kind of spitting vitriol, right? Like she's like, I hate this city and everything like that. Um, it also, I think she shows if, if Somerset is anything, he is playing man versus self. Mills is man versus man because he just wants to get John Doe. And Tracy is woman versus nature or situation. You know, she hates the city. It has nothing to do with this crime. It has nothing to do with herself. She does not like her environment around her. And so it's just another thing that people have to face every day of this sucks. You know, apathy is a solution, as Somerset says. Mm -hmm. And he kind of goes, I can't give you an answer. You either get rid of the baby or you love it with everything you have. And she breaks down because Jesus, that probably just confused her even more. (laughs) Well, and we get more insight into Somerset too in this moment because he shares that he was with someone who got pregnant and this was the first time that he felt fear and really thought it like, how can I bring a child into this world and all of this like destruction and chaos and eventually it wore this person down so much that she got rid of the child. And so, you know, he really regrets that. Um, I, he, I, the way he says it, it's like he, it was almost like he was going to say he didn't regret it, but not a day goes by that he w- didn't wish that he had made a different choice. And so I feel like that also endears Tracy to Somerset and like really makes her feel like she, I don't know, that he shared this like valuable thing with her and very personal part of his past with her yeah it's i mean it it's it's not a scene that i've ever sat sat back to really think about beyond what i already said that it you know i mean you get you do get more about somerset and i think um it's important to know that this guy who feels like he's you know we talked about how Spacey's character John Doe is so in control, but Somerset feels pretty. He's like the the good the good guy in control. Um, but it, I think it is interesting to know that he has regret. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes him makes him more human. Yeah, definitely. Um, how how crazy is it that we're talking about this movie with Morgan Freeman in it, and then for your episode? I was on talking with you guys about Morgan Freeman, an entirely different movie uh, of driving Miss Daisy. Like to me, I, that was not lost on me. I, that was not lost. Yeah. He's everywhere. He's God. Yeah. Even. So uh, like uh. when they were driving out in the country, I wrote in my notes, it's not driving Miss Daisy. It's driving Don, John Doe. <laughs> and this was before memes. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That didn't even get created. So good job. Uh, yeah crazy but yeah um the other thing that i wanted to bring up was like how seven obviously plays like a huge part in this movie but like the number seven pops up a ton in the movie too like with her mills it's seven days of training for him with somerset so like over the course of the movie i guess yeah it takes place over seven days um 7 p.m is like the delivery time for the driver to meet them at the end um, I didn't catch this, but supposedly all the building numbers that they go to is like, or all the building numbers, it says in the opening scene, start with seven. I don't know if that means all the building numbers they go to or or what, but something starts with seven. Um, so even like that, like trickled throughout was, was very interesting. 
obviously seven deadly sins plays a huge role in the entire movie right i mean you're you're teaching me stuff that about my favorite movie i didn't realize that was a thing i mean i realized seven deadly sins of course Mm -hmm. and that they had one week right for the training and whatnot but not that the buildings and whatnot i'll have to look for that the next time i see it how many times does uh mill shoot john doe I think it's six from what I read on IMDb trivia, okay. but if it was seven, they should have made it seven. I mean, he <laughs> unloads. There's that, yeah. there's that point of view shot where the camera's looking up and he's just bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Where he pauses and then gives like two more. Mm-hmm. It's like, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, do you know who turned down? Well, I'm assuming you do because you also enjoy the IMDb trivia page. It's so nice. It's like one of the first places I go after I watch a movie. Um, Denzel turned down the role of Mills. And he talked about how it was, it felt so evil. And then he regretted it after he mm-hmm. saw the movie. Yeah. I, now that Spro has walked away, I can say this. I think, <laughs> I don't think Pitt was ready for this role. Mm. I think he's very, I think he's very good. I think it's one of his better performances. I just think the whole, um, what's in the box part where he has to, he's not bad. I mean, he does a 10 times better job, 30 times better job than I could ever do. Um, but I, God, I just, I wonder what it would have been like mm. with Denzel instead. I'm, I'm forced to wonder. Cause I just, I think Denzel is one of the, and has always been one of the most consistently fine actors um, mm. that that I've grown up with. So, I think that would have been a really like interesting dynamic to see between him and Morgan Freeman too. Like just to see those two together, I'm intrigued by. Um, but like, like in glory, that's yes, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> like in glory. Um, but yeah, like I don't know the the way that brad pitt delivers that line i feel like is so iconic to the entire movie like i i watched this movie by myself and then like last night i think i asked my husband have you ever seen the movie seven and he said yeah uh what's in the box and and so like that's that's the line and i feel like the way that brad pitt delivers that question is just so heartbreaking and like it's like he keeps asking it and the more he asks it the more he knows the answer to the question and knows what has just happened but he doesn't want to it to be like said out loud so i don't know i mean i i see what you're saying um he does have that like like boyish to like um charm that i think i mean i'm denzel can do anything but pitt's boyish charm kind of you know um Plus, he, he can be so snotty, too. Um, I'm thinking of the part where, uh, fuck, I just had it in my head, where they're, they go back to, to Gould's place, the, the lawyer's place, and they look uh, across the entire painting, and Somerset mm. cuts the back of the painting open, and it's like nothing. And Pitt's like, ah, oh, man, he's fucking with us. And yeah. then he puts, his, he puts his hands against the wall, and he goes, look, this is us. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) he's such a smarmy prick um Mm. and again i think denzel can pull off anything but yeah maybe you're right maybe pitt was was pretty perfect for this role well i think like i think of the line where he's like he's a nutbag 
All right. He's probably masturbating <laughs> with his grandma's panties in the basement covered in peanut butter or whatnot. Like, could you imagine Denzel saying that? <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that. <laughs> what about the best reference? You're a t-shirt at best. Claire, are you old enough to remember the, what would you even compare it to? It's kind of like a Meyer. No, because it didn't have, did it have groceries? Do you remember best, Spro? Okay. Yeah. There was, is that what he's referencing? When he says he you're a t-shirt like- at best, he's, I th- he's not saying that at the store best, he's saying like at your best. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> at best, you're a t-shirt. You thought was- I thought it was at the store. <laughs> You're a t-shirt. Tops. At the okay. store. So best. Blah. Best. Best you're, was, well, best. It was kind of like Marshalls. It was kind of like Marshalls. Um, just like a really like low end. Don't hate All on right, Marshalls. I feel, I feel stupid now. <laughs> hey, we went to best. We, we went you. to best. Um, yeah. Gold. It was gold circle and then it became best. Okay. So I don't, now that you pointed it out, I hate that line delivery. I love this movie, but that like, cause he says t-shirt, he like gets it in the back of his jowls. He's like, you're a fucking t-shirt. Brad Pitt has no best. jowls. There are no jowls on that now. <laughs> they are ripped jowls. They're, They're the ripped. rippedest jowls of anybody. <laughs> if anyone has ripped jowls, it would be Brad Pitt. <laughs> He's the first, that man like eat first dude I ever saw that had the muscles. Like, I don't know what you call them, but like. Like you have the six pack and then you have like the pubic muscles from Fight Club. I'm like, this guy's making it really hard on the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) You fucker. I I don't know if I... He's got the line in Fight Club that says... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. He's got the line in Fight Club where he says uh, self-improvement is masturbation. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Well, John Doe is (laughs) called out of sin. But... um, That's right. (laughs) The... uh, But... Somebody, I forget who it was, but came up with the the term snackton, like acting while you're snacking. And Brad Pitt, like in every movie when he's eating something or whatnot, and I'm going to go back to the ripped jowls because I can't get off this topic. But in Ocean's Eleven, especially, he's eating in every scene and just his jaw. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you get that? When it's your not the bread that I'm eating. When it's your job to be, uh, you know, ridiculously good looking, you know. You work at it. I want that you job. Want that I want that job. <laughs> well, you have to start. You have to start somewhere, bro. You know. No, oh, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, since you both watched it when it first came out in theaters, did you pick up on how it was going to end with? Because I, I mean, by the time it's ending, you know that there are two sins left, and so I'm like, there's three people in this car two of them have to be this so i kept flipping like i was pretty sure mills was wrath but then i was like is somerset envy because he's envious of like maybe mills and trudy and what he didn't have but then i was like well but then is john is john doe one of them ultimately we see that john doe is envy but like did it was that something you guys had picked up on at all i had no idea what was coming um until the package delivery guy showed up Mm -hmm. And when they were like, we have a box, get the bomb squad. We got a box. I'm like, as a kid, I wasn't thinking ahead. Like, you know, I just assumed they were going to go find two bodies, which they kind of do. Um, but as soon as I saw the box, for some reason, I don't know why, but I was like, there's a head in that box. And I'm like, whose head could it be? 
And then when it's when Morgan Freeman, when Somerset separates himself and Mills is back with Doe, then I kind of started putting shit together. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, Doe goes into his like, you're pretty, you know, uh, Tracy, the fuck did you just say? Um, Mm. Yeah, that was kind of when I was like, yeah, no, I was. I'm not good at predicting movies. My wife is tremendous at it, but, um, but even especially back then, I just, you know, munch popcorn and consume the movie. That's why I got to watch movies like, you know, 15, 20 times before I'm like, okay, I think I wrap my head around. I'm a slow learner. I like that phrasing that you just did though. Munch popcorn and consume the movie. Yeah. Well, I, again, not original. That was, that was the way our film teacher described, you know, you have to stop being passive consumers the way you, passively consume your your popcorn while you passively consume the film you have to be active viewers so not original i think there's room for both (laughs) sometimes you just want to be a (laughs) passive viewer (laughs) and i was definitely the only time that i'm like trying to predict the ending if i'm if if i'm just sitting in the audience being a curmudgeon right like i'm like i'm gonna be better it's usually with the knives out yeah I'm going to predict this one yeah. <laughs> you know? um, or any M night Shyamalan now. Like, oh, I yeah. feel bad, but I'm trying to stay ahead of that twist um, with this one. I did not. And they say in like the writer's classes, you always have to have, if, if you, you always have to have a little bit of hope, if you're doing a very dark movie or if you're doing a very hopeful movie, you have, a, you have to have a little bit of doubt and darkness. And so when it was coming down to it, I remember even when pretty much the movie is telling you it's Tracy's head in the box being like, no, it's not. Yeah. There's no way you can't do that. You can't do that to Tracy. You know, like, and I remember sitting in the audience just being defiant that somehow this was all going to flip that, that Mills was going to shoot him. And then they're going to be like, no, actually it wasn't Tracy's head in the box. It was just one of your dog's heads, you know, cause he had two of them. And so I figured that maybe the killer would go after the dogs, but wasn't that another like alternative nope. ending? Was that there was gonna just gonna be a dog's head in a box, or it was gonna be like a Tracy lookalike, and then he was gonna shoot uh, John Doe. The for Tracy nothing? lookalike would have been nuts. Yeah, would have been nuts. But the dog, what heartless studio exec was like? <laughs> put a dog's head in there; it'll be better. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no, man. The dog doesn't die other than the uh, dead dog on the side yeah, of the road. Yeah, other than that one. Um, <laughs> thank, well, I was like, thankfully, the other two dogs didn't die. Although I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen to them at this point. <laughs> now that maybe Somerset will take the dogs, you know, maybe he'll adopt them. I mean, I haven't really gone dark yet this episode like you two have. So I'm just going to say they're feasting on Tracy's body. Just throwing that out there. Bro. Oh, I went the darkest? I don't know. You know Claire loves dogs. Why would you fucking say that? Right. They're getting fed. <laughs> yeah. Aren't you glad aren't you glad you had us on, Claire? So glad, so glad. Um maybe the most unrealistic part of this part to me was that the delivery guy arrived like right in this exact like fucking out like crazy location like i can't even get my amazon packages delivered to my house in my subdivision (laughs) right house in my subdivision but this guy was like no i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get this on time 7 p.m although he was technically a few minutes late but yeah like that to me was was yeah um he did pay him like extra but you know the service industry is 
unreliable. And also, I think... I don't know if this movie single-handedly made us all skeptical of getting small boxes, um, but like it was like immediately after I saw this movie, I was watching a TV show and there was someone came in their house and there was a box in the corner that someone left and I was like, "There's a head in that box, I know it." And there was a head in that box, so I feel like now anytime I see a box somewhere, I'm like, "There's a head in that box." <laughs> there was uh, where I went to college. There was a super badass video store. Um, just, I mean, any movie it had it, um, it was the Mecca and anytime we wanted to rent it, but they had all kinds of movie memorabilia. And when you first walked in, they had like a, like a, you know, like an open up cooler with sodas in it and sitting on the top was, uh, a box. It was the box from seven and coming out of it was just like two strands of blonde hair. And there was like mm. a little, little bit of blood just a little bit of blood on the outside of the box. And they had that display. It was like the first thing that anybody oh saw God. when they walked in. <laughs> well, welcome. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the, honestly, that's the most lasting thing about this movie is mm-hmm. the, is the what's in the box, but it just bums me out. The amount of people that, especially younger generations that have never seen this movie, that it does not get, it doesn't get championed. And I understand why I get why. But. Yeah. It, it's like, anytime I heard about this movie, it's like, Oh, seven. Ooh. And then people would also be like, is it seven or seven pounds? Um, and like get those movies mixed up. So, but they were like, no, you'll know seven when you watch seven. I think, well, I mean, but the, everything about this movie kind of had lasting power. Like, you've never seen a title sequence like you did seven. And then it, that was kind of emulated. Um, the darkness of this movie kind of lended itself to, to other dark movies. I read a list once and it had like kiss the girls on it, which is a guilty pleasure of mine. I love Carrie Elways as a bad guy. Spoiler alert. Sorry. I did the spoiler alert after the spoiler, <laughs> but the <laughs> um, it's a 20 year old movie. Yeah. Um, but the darkness of seven and it's almost like the diehard of serial killer movies, mm. right? Like, because then there was so many kind of ripoffs of like, this serial killer is killing people in this way. And so then these detectives have to go find like the bone collector and stuff like that. So it's very, it resonated a whole lot, but I, I'm with Lee. I don't understand why more people don't go back and visit it. And that's why, you know, when the Batman did what it did, who was the director of the Batman? Matt Reeves when Matt Reeves did the Batman and who did Joker? Oh man, we covered. Yeah. Thank you. There it is. Um, When they, so Matt Reeves is ripping off David Fincher's style and Todd Phillips is ripping off Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, 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 Scorsese. Yeah. Scorsese. (laughs) (laughs) Heard it here first Um, or last. The, when they're when these directors are ripping off these famous directors to pull off these superhero movies, I love it, you know, because David Finch is not going to direct a superhero movie, but we got a, a superhero movie in the style of David Fincher. And I didn't care that, you know, ooh, the Redler had journals and upon journals of of you know John Doe style manifestos and everything like that. Like I love that stuff coming out in today's times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they don't talk about seven, but anybody that knows anything about um, dark cinema will is able to you know now say what's in the, knows what's in the box. Mm. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And <laughs> I, I mean, 
as much as this movie left a bleak uh, impression on me, I'm really glad that you guys picked this one. I don't know if I would have watched this one of my own like accord. So otherwise, so yeah, I'm I'm excited that you guys introduced this one to me and for the podcast and for us to watch it and get to discuss it here. I definitely needed to process this one. Um, one of the last episodes of yours that I listened to was Free Willy and it's just <laughs> kind of uh kind of a a, a chasm several you know, chasms between that and this we cover the gambit really um I, i'm just coming off of oppenheimer so i was already in like a pretty bleak feeling mindset at the end of that movie so it, it i was in like the right mindset probably to watch this movie i wasn't feeling entirely hopeful and i haven't listened to that one yet because i still haven't seen oppenheimer I haven't gotten to go see imax Ugh, did you go it, see it in the theater yes well, I didn't see it in IMAX theater. I saw it in a, or I saw it in a regular theater, but yes. Right on. Yeah. Look at that on your list of, uh, this is probably your darkest movie. No? That you've covered so yeah, far. Yeah, Joker. We covered Joker. That's pretty dark. Um, mm. Yeah, I'd say this is probably the, possibly the darkest movie we've covered yet. You can thank Spro. Thanks. For, for, for first <laughs> inviting us on your show it's, and then second being like, well, we're doing all Finchers, right? We're suggesting this, this, and this. I'm like, oh, I thought I was going to pick one. You were going to pick one and then we we're going to pick one together. And I kept like re-saying that to him and he kept just going, I thought we were doing all Finchers. It's like, okay, I guess we're doing all Finchers. Well, it's on me too. I picked seven. I knew what I was getting myself into. There were other things that you guys suggested and I was like, no, let's do seven. And you know what? I love it. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm glad we did. Even as we talk about it, like, I'm still just like thinking about more and more things. And we also glossed over pride. He glued oh, a, yeah. a phone or the pill bottles to her hand. and was like, either we're going to spite your face or you can take your life if you can't live ugly. And she decided to take her life because she didn't want to live ugly. Mm. Like, damn, so depressing. Yeah. I mean, even the fact that the he, that John Doe kept Victor for like a year and then the day that they find him is exactly one year since he's been there and the way that John Doe would still keep Victor alive and like give him antibiotics for the bed sores, but then limit his food intake and and everything and then like cut off his hand so he could use it for greed. I mean... This guy, like, I, I want to know how long he had this all planned out. Like, at what point did the pieces start coming together? But we'll never Who, know. Who, the killer or the screenwriter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the killer, but potentially the screenwriter, too. <laughs> yeah, our uh, we just moved into a new house here in, uh, well, in Ohio. And um, the previous owner just chain-smoked cigarettes in our uh garage so i was thinking of doing the same thing that uh what you call it that john doe does above um is it victor yeah mm-hmm. above victor's body just hang a bunch of pine tree oh yeah air fresheners all over and see if that'll see, take care of the smell those like little details and they don't like call it out but you know like it's because that body stinks like ass it's it's bad <laughs> <sighs> well is there anything else we want to talk about before we go to our segments 
segment segment uh wait lee what was your because i don't know if this was claire's favorite part but the i didn't do the dead dog situation and i said sorry it's like we're getting like storm warnings here um the uh my favorite part was simply uh detective mills getting into bed with tracy what was your favorite part lee god it's it's hard to pick a favorite part um I, I do enjoy, I love libraries and the, the cinematography of the library with all the green desk lamps all lit up across those beautiful wood tables and the music and like the security guards that are getting paid to play poker, all this, all this knowledge at your fingertips. And what do you do? You play poker. Mm. Pretty great. I love that. I mean, probably that part is the one part that makes me feel the warmest. And then when they all have dinner together and the house shakes because of the elevated train um, and Morgan Freeman, like trying to stifle his laughter, this is pretty cute. Um, but the chase sequence, I mean, almost mm-hmm. second to none, the foot chase, the camera work for that. It, it, uh, it feels like, I think you used the word uh, verisimilitude earlier. Feels really real. Like when they're bombing through people's apartments and there's kids like sitting on a bed watching TV, it's creepy. And the fact that it never, ever stops raining in this movie until the very end. Yeah. The rain's like a whole other character in this movie. When it's an unnamed city. So like, to me, I always like, well, it's New York, right? It's got to be New York. It's all filmed in LA. And they used the rain kind of to mask the fact that they were filming in a place that's 80 degrees and sunny most of the time, right? But I could never get it out of my head that it wasn't New York City. Yeah, it to me was... I'm surprised that they never named it. To me, it felt like New York City. Um, Yeah, I mean, just the way That's what I always just assumed, too. It was shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd read like a, a little bit about why it's always raining in Seven. And I think one is like practicality, right? Because... They don't have to wait if they have limited time. I think Brad Pitt can only film for like so many days. And so if it was raining, they didn't have to necessarily like be thrown off schedule. But then there's also like themes of rain and depression and dark and foreboding. And then with John Doe being very like um, the seven, very focused on the seven deadly sins and religion, like rain plays a big part in Noah's Ark and washing away um sins of man and all of that so there's definitely a lot to do with with rain in the movie and then the only time that it is not raining is at the end when they are driving to the location and indicating that like it's gonna come to an end i guess and thank god too like the the fact that they made that decision and they're not just sitting in the pouring rain you know out in the field like yeah that would have yeah wouldn't have had quite the same like the yeah. And like, it's sunny, you know, like, and it, it feels warm and everything that they have going on. And then just, they use that kind of to trick you and be like, it's okay. You know, like you just said, like, we're coming to the end of this. It's going to mm-hmm. be fine. And then it's like, oh no, everything is fucked. Yeah. I also want to clarify my favorite part of the movie is not because the dog is dead. It is just because of <laughs> Kevin Spacey's line delivery of that was not me. And I got a chuckle out of that. <laughs> I guess I do love dogs. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a good little it's a good little tension lifter. Yeah, I didn't do for that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, our first segment is Duff Flick, and um, one of mine is something that you guys already mentioned, but it's why the flick. Didn't Mills and Tracy realize they were moving in right next to a train? Seems a bit like they didn't do their research in real estate. <laughs> Might have been like a, a quick turnover where it's like, okay, I got this job. We got to go. We got to find a place. He does mention too that the uh, the guy or the gal that shows them the place only takes them in for like 10 minute increments and then like ushers them out. Mm-hmm. Presumably so they can't hear the train and feel all of the vibrations how close was the train because like i'm wondering if they could even see it in the vicinity i'd like to be it's like right outside of their window yeah i mean to in order to rattle everything in your house and shake things off tables yeah probably like what what your thing like just what lee was saying right there of a real estate agent like okay okay we gotta go we gotta go like i could see him like putting his like body in front of the (laughs) kitchen window being like oh no no Don't worry about what's out there. It's fine. Yeah. It's like a brick window. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were there any deflicks that you guys had? You made me think of a, a really good one. Like, I don't know if it's a why, uh, if it's a deflick moment, but yeah, when you mentioned that the, the delivery driver was on time, it's like <laughs> the flick. <laughs> that every time I rewatch this now, I'm going to be like, don't believe it. <laughs> unrealistic <laughs> i mean in the era of uber eats and everything and right all the deliveries yeah did they even have well, a gps back then that. no he was he that guy that guy map quested that <laughs> <Map Yeah. blast. laughs> he had an atlas that he, he was on his unfolding. aol dial-up yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like my wide of flake is the same kind of moment because he handles the box like there's a head like there's a head in it mm-hmm. like it's like <laughs> Well, it did say fragile you know, what? on the side, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, my UPS drivers do not care if it's yeah. as fragile or not. I don't want to throw UPS under the bus. Most of them are really good. Yeah. But it's like, that doesn't stop him from throwing it on the porch and taking a picture of it. If he worked for Amazon, he would get all the marks. He'd get like delivered on time, followed instructions well, uh, was polite, you know, all of all of the marks. I feel like once Sign he John Doe. yeah once he realizes that he delivered a head in the box that's like just another victim who's gonna be like fuck but anyway um, D- deflect yeah. do cops send or rather sorry deflect do cops sell information to to the press you know when when John Doe goes oh, it's yeah. alarming how easily. A member of the press can obtain. It's mm. like lock that shit down. <laughs> lock it down. <laughs> um, I also want to know why deflected that guy make that knife dildo thing. Why? Why did he have to make that for lust? The thing that killed the woman. The I don't lust. think it was. It, he didn't make it until. John Doe commissioned him to make it. Right. I'm just at saying, well, right. but at that point, if you're like, oh, if I get it. Comes so, like, why would you yeah. and says, I want this, but substitute a knife? At what point do you say, wait a minute? Okay. I got it. <laughs> Sorry. No. Especially a dude with like 
band-aids on every one of his fingertips. <laughs> it's like, and I they, would like this dildo, they, please. <laughs> and they show him and he's like, look, peop- some people are like kinky. And I'm like, no, no, sir. Nobody wants that. Don't make that. I, I think Deflick, I never understood why Deflick people go like in movies. I hate when they go to restaurants and they don't eat the food. Mm. Like he ordered a slice of pizza. There was nothing wrong with that slice of pizza. And he's like, ah, why are we meeting this guy here? And I'm like, eat your food, Brad Pitt. Like, just eat the food. <laughs> That's a well, good you do get, slice of New York slice You do pizza. get the moment where the guy takes the pizza from him and starts and starts yeah. eating it. So it, it, it pays off that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Look like a good slice of pizza to me. Maybe Bills was so sick from seeing the things that he has seen because at that point they've what gone at least through sloth and i don't know if anyone feels like eating after that i I think he's just more especially italian after i think he's just more irritated with somerset in that moment than anything else yeah Mm -hmm. for sure i like how all like the side cops have like the same attitude Mm -hmm. like lee brought up earlier the first copy and like who the fuck cares you know and then you got the guy right before gluttony and he's like Detective, this man has been sitting in his own piss and shit for about three hours now. If he wasn't dead, he would have stood up by now. Like, <laughs> all the cops are just over everybody's shit and like, just does not want to be in their jobs. Yeah. So, yeah, they're selling the information. Yeah. <laughs> I hate everybody. That's what everybody feels like in this. Yeah. They're all Tracy's. There's only one Somerset, though. Standing above the rest. Somerset, Summer laying down. And he was named for, oh, no, we don't need to get into that. Oh, just be smart. Put on. He was named for uh, Somerset Mom, W. Somerset Mom, the author. Um, Mm. I didn't want to say it because I didn't. I'm not so familiar with that author's work, but he wrote something that Andrew Kevin Walker felt was uh, salient to the character. See, this is why I shouldn't have gotten into it. (laughs) Sorry, I pressured you. I do. I do have a fun fact, though. Like aside. So one of my mentors in the screenwriting world um, is running around in the same circles as Andrew Kevin Walker right now. And I was like, when he mentioned that, I said, oh my gosh, he wrote my favorite movie. Like, can you, do you talk to him? Do you say like, what's up or anything like that? He's like, no, the dude is so humble and modest. Like the last time I saw him, he was just complimenting everybody about how good his nachos were. Oh, <laughs> I was like. Don't talk to me anymore. I don't want to know about this guy. Kind of like the man that wrote like the so, darkest movie I've ever seen. Sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes. Kind-hearted soul. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know what I want from Andrew. Right. I don't want him to be sitting there with, you know, shaving his fingerprints off, but what? he likes his nachos. <sighs> Who doesn't like nachos? Um, yeah, I could murder some nachos right now. Yeah. Uh, Dick of the Flick is our next segment. And... I mean, I think there's definitely one John Doe could be said as the dick of the flick. There are some others. There's on my list anyway, I had Victor, Eli Gould. So the the two who I felt like not I'm not saying that this should be enacted on people, but like they were the least sympathetic, I feel like, of of all of the quote unquote sins. Um and then I think Mills to some degree, but I wouldn't say he's the dick of the flick. I don't know. Do what do you all think? I'm ha- 
Well, I think I'm happy to hear her say Mills because I I think that's exactly what you're supposed to think. You're supposed to be like, ugh. I mean, he even drops uh, an f bomb at one point um, when he's exasperated in the car and he calls, yeah, he calls the author the f word and he's like slamming shit around and. Yeah, he's just he he feels like a uh, like a frat bro in a lot of ways, um, but there is good in him. I think yeah. you're right. He does want to do the right thing. He does want to be kind of a hero, and obviously Tracy loves him for some reason. Um, oh well, we know why. Doesn't she say that he made her laugh like their first date? Like he cracked cracked her up, and she knew that he was going to be the man that she married. Um, I'll submit, um, I'll submit the, the guy that takes the pizza from, uh, from Mills. (laughs) It's a dick move. (laughs) He's also doing illegal searches, right? Right before the NSA and everything. Yeah. Isn't he, uh, he's, he's like FBI, right? He's supposed to be FBI. Yeah. Mm. And he's and uh, Somerset is paying him money for people's library card searches. Is the library culpable? Is the library a dick? Because they're like, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll go along with this. Isn't that funny too? Now that if you were to like, I, there's no doubt in my mind that if you were to take out, I mean, he mentions Mein Kampf as one of the books, but I mean, I guarantee everybody is not only looking at what you're doing online, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I guarantee there's books that if you take them out from the library, the FBI is like, yeah. Nuclear weapons. How do I make a bomb? Not that that's like Uh, a book with a bomb building for dummies. (laughs) You're flagged. I I wouldn't be surprised if the NSA is listening to us right now because the bomb just flipped out to this conversation. What's going on? What's going on over there? We're just a simple (laughs) podcast, guys. We're fine. Just just talking movies. Yeah, Yeah. that's all. But um, I'm I'm glad nobody just took my dick yet. But I think, first and foremost, I think California is one of the dicks of the flick. He's the SWAT team member. He's John C. McGinley in the film. So he's the one that's like... um, getting all up in sloth's face but he's mm. also the one at the end just kind of observing everything and then once everything goes down he's like oh shit he shot him you know and like you just hear that echoing throughout but the reason why i think he's the dick of the flick is because he doesn't pay attention to anything going on like they're just going to ram through the door and whatnot and not let anybody do not a- take let anybody take point and yet everything gets ruined you know, mm-hmm. so and then they don't get there like they don't get yelled at or anything like that. Even when they're sitting in the hallway, one of the SWAT team members goes by with the battering ram and they go SWAT before dicks, you know, and then they like bust it down. I'm like, God damn, I don't like you guys. <laughs> Let the detectives in first to figure out the guy is not actually dead. Right. Instead of like you just getting up all in his face. So I put California as the dick of the flick. Yeah, I mean, and then all contenders. Yeah. How about the guy that sells the knife dildo too? And then it's like, oh hey, yeah, that's life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Some people like what they like. Yeah, I can't yeah, believe like, I forgot to you, put him on my list. Do you he's like the, the one things- <laughs> I hate him the most. <laughs> do you like the things that you see? <laughs> no, I don't. But that's life, isn't it? <laughs> God, it's like 
or the guy who let uh i guess it was john doe who let him into the club into with like a big old suitcase or whatever and they're like why would you let someone in with a big big i don't know what it was a big bag or whatever and he's like do people come in with big bags all the time so how about the guy who put it on and is he i mean i don't think he's as as um much to blame because he had a gun to his head but the guy who actually enacted the lust uh of it all um yeah i mean john doe did arm two of his victims like yes he had a gun to their head but he gave the lawyer a knife and said you know cut a pound of flesh off of your body Mm -hmm. and then he gave the other guy a knife dildo Mm -hmm. so they could have fought back i'm not i'm not just died (laughs) like (laughs) just like pride yeah Uh, well yeah john doe ultimately (laughs) i feel like is you know He's the dick of the flick of he's the reason this whole movie is even happening. All these characters are involved, but there are quite a few contenders, I will say, in this one. Absolutely. So our last segment is how many flicks do we give um, for context as far as how this movie is rated generally on IMDb. It has an 8.6 out of 10. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 83% from critics and 95% from audiences. So as a reminder, we do one out of five. Five is the highest and you can give decimal points. Who wants to go first? <laughs> I was waiting for I was waiting for Spro to go first. I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it four point five flicks. Yes, bro. I'm trying to do like the math. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to do the math about it. That's ninety percent. That's an A minus. Yeah. You're gonna say this is an A minus film? Yeah. Yes. Jeez, I don't even know. Well, it's. Uh... <sighs> Tell me a flaw. Tell me a flaw. I did. Film. You. I did it when you walked away. Um, I. I just think the final sequence. I think Pitt wasn't ready for that level of, of, I mean, I, I, again, I'm repeating myself from earlier in the podcast. He's 10 times, 20, 30 times the actor I could ever be. Um, and he does his best. I just don't think he was ready for a scene of that magnitude. I do want to impress upon your audiences that Lee is on record repeatedly, not enjoying male actors emoting loudly. So like Matt Damon crying in Interstellar. He's bad. He's just bad. <laughs> He's bad. That's so, that's that's um, the only uh, yeah. That's my only my only mark um, off. I mean that's a pretty good score, Spro. So yeah, it's a high, me, mark, me high marks. Yeah. Thank it's you, Claire. Higher than the critics. Very supportive. Thank you, Claire. You're welcome. <laughs> I will agree with the Rotten Tomatoes audience score and go with 4.8. Nice. I was leaning to a 4.6 and then I was like, it feels only right to incorporate seven into my number. So I will bump it up to a (laughs) 4.7 out of five. Um, Yeah, I really, 
it's hard it's like weird to say i enjoyed this movie because it's not like an enjoyable watch but i feel like it was a very riveting compelling watch it definitely kept me glued to my screen the entire time from start to finish and the way that it unfolds like a mystery throughout i feel like kept really keeps me hooked the entire time i personally really think that i get what you're saying lee about brad pitt and i don't think he's like the strongest actor in this movie but i do still like him in the role and i mean morgan freeman i think stands out to me as well as like kevin spacey um and that their dynamic together really i think melds well throughout the movie so yeah um i don't know if i'm going to be rewatching it anytime soon but maybe a few years down the road i'll come back to it and like notice little things too that i didn't catch the first time do you have a favorite serial killer movie i know that's a very odd question to ask you but... know i don't think i do um I'm one of the few I feel like who's not like into true crime. <laughs> I just like I feel like there's enough like darkness in the world and I don't feel like uh to, you know, inundate myself with it constantly. But but so yeah, I don't know. I'll have to think on it. I'll have to see if there is one that comes to mind for favorite. There's not one right off the bat. This one I feel like is very high though, if there is going to be one. I would say this is my second favorite serial killer movie of all time. I think Silence of the Lambs mm. is a, is a perfect movie. And I saw this before I ever saw Silence of the Lambs. So like when I went I was like okay well I got to I got to see what everybody's been talking about with Silence cuz that came out I was like 10 years old. I think I think that one is kind of more my speed a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was about to google serial killer movies and then felt like the government might be watching me so i immediately stopped doing that <laughs> i didn't bring up the one person that i feel the sorriest for is arlie ernie because i don't know what necessarily his motivations are we're talking about somerset retiring and i feel like arlie ernie wants to retire when his friend does mm. and so because he's like hanging out with him and like you know when he says this ain't even my desk they're not even in his office like i feel like he came out of his office to be like hey guys what what are you what are you detecting over there you know yeah. and then at the end he's like well where are you gonna be where i just lost my young chap where are you gonna be somerset he's like well, i'll be around and i feel like arlie ernie is like the saddest one there is mm -hmm. other not sadder than mills of course but yeah i feel more tracy <laughs> yeah <laughs> or is or the dogs <sighs> well that was seven. To, yeah. <laughs> There's no night good, like happy way to end it. But um, I want to give you guys a chance to talk about your podcast and let the listeners know where they can find you guys. Okay. We do a Oscar revisionist show called Spro and Lee Take on the Academy. Um, we're trying to break with the format a little bit here and there, but basically the idea is every episode, we choose one award that we feel was misgiven and take it away and give it to uh, a, fr a film or a person that we felt is more deserving. Um, we watch a lot of movies. Claire can attest to that. Uh, in fact, Claire will be on our, I meant to look up the date, Let's say uh, September 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. Is it the September 4th? Is that the... 
Oh, yeah. yeah. So on September 4th, um, I think, when does this one air? Is it the 5th? September 5th. Yeah. Okay. So the so if you are listening to this and you are a fan of Why the Flick, you can hop over to Spro and Lee Take on the Academy because yesterday our episode with Claire came out where we discussed Best Picture of 1990. A lot of good movies. Uh, and that was a fun one. That was. It was a good yeah, time. Yeah, you, you can find yeah. us anywhere too. I mean, we're everywhere. Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, at Take on the Academy at Instagram and all that stuff. Yeah, and I'll make sure to link to your show and socials in our show notes. And if I can, I'll link to our episode too. So you can literally like click there and find the episode and go listen to it. Um, so yeah, for our next flick. Hey, listeners, jumping in here while editing this episode, because at the time of recording, I did not know what our next flick was going to be. But I do now, and I'm so excited to share that next episode, we will be covering Barbarian. That's right, spooky season is starting early, as it should, and I will also be joined by Tawny from Two Chicks and a Horror Flick to give that one a thorough deep dive. I absolutely cannot wait. Spro and Lee, thank you again for coming on Why the Flick and talking about this heartwarming movie with me it was a blast i love having you guys thank you for yeah, having us. thank you claire i love your show and <laughs> you're uh you're the you're the tracy of, of movie podcasting oh my gosh <laughs> wait before she died i'm like <laughs> no, 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 hopefully... no, no no like the way that he's yeah before hopefully that is not foreshadowing it is not Oh my God. I sound like All a right. fucking murderer this whole episode. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. <laughs>